mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 3. We're going to be beginning uh, in verse 7. Um, I would like to uh, announce that the governor has given permission for us to return to service. So on Wednesday, we're going to have prayer meeting at 7 o'clock as normal. On Friday, we'll be having Bible study at 7 o'clock as normal. And then Sunday, we'll be on Mother's Day, we'll be able to celebrate and uh, be back uh, at the building in fellowship together at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. I do want everybody to be safe, be smart, to practice uh, uh, the safe distancing and the rules that the governor has laid down. Uh, and we don't want anybody to get sick. If you uh, uh, have a, a weakened immune system or are concerned about what COVID might do, then we obviously want to be smart in that. And the video will still be uploaded and you can watch from the video. But I do miss the fellowship and I pray that you'll be there on Wednesday, on Friday and Sunday and look forward to seeing you. So uh, with that, we are now again, like I said, in Mark 3, and we're going to be in verse 7. But if you remember with me, we had finished a couple texts that Mark is just moving so quick. Remember, he does this immediately, immediately. So he's really just moving right through uh, the, the text. And he did a couple at the end of 2 and then at the beginning of 3. Um contentions that the scribes and Pharisees have with Jesus concerning the Sabbath, the one where they accused him of harvesting crop when they were just rubbing some grain together and getting a bite to eat. And then, of course, here in 3, as we closed in 3, 1 through 6, he uh, knew they were watching him, and they were watching him to accuse him. They wanted to find something to accuse him about to make him stop teaching without their permission. And so he heals the uh, um, man's withered hand. Um, and when he does with this, the Pharisees went out and immediately they plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. They want to kill him. That's what the word means, to kill him. Of course, the Herodians are Jews that are uh, helping Herod come back to the throne and rule and reign. And, and then we have these Pharisees that are supposed to be the religious authority. Listen to me. Listen to me. They go out and they're plotting to kill him, but he continued doing what he was always doing. He is looking to save them. 
He wants them to repent. He wants to soften their heart. He is going to die for their sins. He's got his face set like flint toward Jerusalem to go there to die for the sins of the world. And he wants to bring life and give life. And they want to take life and to kill him because they don't like what he's saying. And you cannot tell me that anyone who believes in Christ or wants to, to, to stand for Christ can have a heart to take life. Now, I know that sometimes it might be necessary in self-defense to protect ourselves, to defend our country. There might be a reason to go to war, but never is it justified to have premeditated murder. And they went out plotting how they might kill him because they did not want him to be teaching and healing on the Sabbath. They felt like he was breaking the law. And I am. I am speaking about abortion. Abortion is murder. It's premeditated. It, we build buildings for it. We actually allot uh, 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 money to do it. We pay for it for foreign countries. We pay people to do it. They don't even have to fork out their own money. We supply it for them so that they can kill babies. That's premeditated in your heart murder. And the only part about Planned Parenthood is planning to kill a baby. It's very sad. Very sad. Because God is always planning on how to give us life and that more abundantly. He died so that we could have it. And we continue to plan on how to die. How to kill. We want to pursue death headlong to the grave and resist Him. So let's continue our... Um, text here that continues to follow Jesus and we'll begin reading in Mark 3 verse 7. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great multitude from Galilee followed him from Judea and Jerusalem, Iduma and beyond the Jordan and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude when they heard how many things he was doing came to him. So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. And he went up on a mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed twelve, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses and cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave uh, the name uh, Bonar Jesus, Bonergis, I don't even know how it's pronounced. That is sons of thunder, so he helps us understand what it means. Bonergis is probably how that's said. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And they went into a house. Then the multitude came together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, and they said, He is out of his mind. 
And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons he cast out demons. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. But they said he had, because they said he has an unclean spirit. Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside they sent to him, calling him, and a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the testimony of your son when he was on the earth. Thank you that he can now abide in our heart by the power of the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. And we pray and ask you to open our eyes, open the eyes of our heart to see more clear, to see exactly what you've called us to do and where you want us to go and what you've called us to. Thank you, Lord, that um, the COVID-19 was not as bad as they thought it was going to be. Thank you that we don't have as many deaths. We pray for every family that has lost someone. We pray for every person that has been sick. We pray, Lord, that you give them perspective and you turn hearts towards you and you would save souls. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark 3, verse 7. So they go out and they're plotting to kill him. But what does Jesus do? But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. He knows what their plans are. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him from Judea, which would be the region, and Jerusalem, the city, Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. Now really, this is just the whole area. Everybody from everywhere is coming. He's drawing people from everywhere because of healing. I mean, because of the word that he's preaching, because of the miracles that he's doing, he begins to draw people to him. Notice many of them come because of what he's doing, and they came to him. Now, some of them come for the wrong reason. Some of them come for the right reason. Some of them know who he is. Some of them just want to hand out. They want healed. But we are a needy, needy people. And Jesus said that we can all come to him. He died for whomsoever. It's a whomsoever gospel. So that we can all come to him. Have you come to Jesus? Now, he's withdrew. And obviously, with his disciples by the sea, 
And he's trying to privately teach them. I mean, get away from the scoffers and the critics so he can equip the saints, so he can continue with his ministry. And so we see that, that that's going to be almost near impossible because now here comes the multitudes. And they're there also because of the healings that he's doing. They came to him. Have you come to Jesus? Not for entertainment, not for pomp, not for show, maybe not even for healing. Come to him for healing of your soul, for salvation. He is giving life, and he bids us all to come to him. Have you come? Have you come to him and ask him for forgiveness of sins? Have you received him as the Messiah, the Savior, the payment for your sin nature? Verse 9, so he told his disciples, I actually wanted to look at, um, followed him. So let me, let me back up. A great multitude from Galilee followed him. And, and, I, and the reason I want to look at it is because it's the word that I like to, to be in the same way with, to accompany him. And let me ask you, who are you in the way with? Who are you in the same way with? Who are you hanging out with and having fellowship with and following? Because we're all following somebody. You could be following self. You could be following the world. You could be following government. You could be following the devil. Or you can be following Jesus. Who are you in the way with? When you're following the teachings of his word, when you're being led by his spirit, you're in the way with Jesus. When you're looking to grow in the grace and the knowledge of him and to see souls saved as you're about the work of the ministry, you're in the way with Jesus. And that's so important that we're in the way with Jesus. Ask yourself, look at your life and say, who am I in the way with? Who am I having fellowship with and being yoked to and become a part of now let's get to nine so he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude lest they should crush him so so there's people that uh are trying to kill him they're plotting to kill him and then we see that there's so many people pressing in that they have to get a boat ready in case uh, they push and crush him. He's going to get in the boat and just kind of go out a little ways so that he can keep from being trampled by the crowds. Because think about it. If you've got somebody that's healing everybody, healing these diseases, casting out demons, setting people free, there should be a mass rush to them. And yet, and yet... There's a rush to the world that's leading to death. There's a rush to the worldly government that's leading to death. There's a rush to sin, which is leading to death. And there's not a bunch of people pressing in just to see Jesus and have life. Hmm. Why have you come to Jesus? Why do you come to church? Why are you reading your Bible? That our houses, our Bible studies, our churches, our places of fellowship would be packed full. And yet, the world tells us we have to practice safe distancing. Jesus 
is in the house. He's come to save. He's come to heal. He's came to give life. And we chase so many other things. Verse 10. For he healed many. This is why the crushing crowd was there. He healed many so that as many as had afflictions, plagues, plague, plagues, King James, pressed about him to touch him. You know, it's it's a place of a point of your faith to touch him. But has he touched you? It means to attach oneself to. And it's implied in a relations to touch many relations. Who or what are you touching, attached to? What are you trying to touch? What are you reaching for? What are you striving after? What gets you up in the morning? Has Jesus touched you? Are you drawing near to touch him? To attach yourself to his kingdom? To his have his blood attached to your life? Forgiveness of sins? And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. Now it's interesting. Again, they're called unclean spirits. They're demons. Unclean is lewd and impure, and it's specifically a demonic, foul spirit. And that's what they are. They're fallen angels. They're demons that are in, in, in people's body. The people are possessed by these demons. And notice they saw him. They recognized him because they were in heaven at one time and had seen him. So they knew what they were looking for. When they saw him, they said, you are the son of God. See, we... We're not there. So now we, by faith, believe. We hear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But one day, every knee is going to bow. Look what happened with them. They fell down before him. This is what's going to happen one day. Everybody that knows him will bow and worship. Everybody that's still unclean and foul because of touching and pursuing the evil, instead of pursuing him and touching him and believing in him, they will be unclean and they will bow down and beg for another chance, just like these demons. They knew who he was. They seen him. They cried out and declared it. Demons know who he is. Do you know who he is? They are trying to witness who he is, and we are called to witness, and we don't. Well, not everybody, not emphatically. But notice this. He sternly warned them that they should not make him known. couple reasons. Number one is, uh, it was not his hour yet. And they were already crushing him and pressing in, and he had more things to do. But, but the main reason is, is he doesn't want demons testifying who he is. He doesn't want them to witness who he is. He wants us. He's called us. 
He doesn't want demons advertising and then people will follow the other lies that they tell. It's not his hour yet. Demons know who he is. And they bow down. Do we know who he is? Do we bow down when we sing? When we worship him? 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Now we know from other texts that he went up and he prayed all night before he called them. He chose them. Now I believe that, that he called uh, those he wanted to come to him was 70 people. It was 70, because the next verse is going to say, then he appointed the 12. He, he, pull, he picks 70 uh, after he prayed all night long. And then he called them, and they came to him. Notice they, it wasn't they came to a church. They didn't come to the temple. They, did, they didn't come to a building. It's not a denomination. It's not a place. They come to life. They come to Him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. They came to truth. He's beginning to organize the church. The ecclesia, those that, that are called out and called to Him. They come out of the world. And, and it begins with 70 of them. But it's for all. The gospel, once again, is a whomsoever. If you look at Matthew 11 again, and I'm going to look there. It's 11:28. Jesus calls all of us to come. He died for whomsoever. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life he has bid us all to come every person ever born can come to him and he says this in matthew 20 excuse me eleven twenty-eight. he says come to me all it's all it's emphatic you don't need a calculator all you who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest that's what these people are. They're heavy laden. They're burdened down. They've got disease. They've got plagues. They've got afflictions. And really, when it, we've seen them people coming, that word uh, plagues or afflictions, it it's figuratively means disease, but it actually was the word literally for a whip, the Roman flagellum, which caused so much punishment and they scourged you with. That's what that word was. It was affliction because we're beaten down in life. And we need to come to Jesus to come to life instead of living in a dead man's body. Come to me, all you who labor. How many is that? It's everybody and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest, rest for your soul. Take my yoke. It's an invitation to discipleship. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He wants to train us. He wants to teach us how to be godly, how to be righteous, how to obey the Father. For I am gentle, meek, lowly in heart. He humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. 
and you will find rest for your souls, salvation for your souls. When we find rest for our souls, we're set free at liberty to go out and share and tell others so that they can come to salvation, so that they can have rest, so that they can come to life, to the way, the truth, and the life, and begin to follow. Then he says in 30, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you still fighting with God? Are you, are you still carrying a heavy burden? Are, still, are you still yoked to sin? Are you still yoked to this world? Are you still trying to touch other things? What are you following? Come to Jesus and rest. Come to Jesus and surrender. Come to Jesus and learn from him and be his disciple. Allow him to wrap his loving arms around you. He says that all that he called, they came to him. We know the promise that none were lost except for the son of perdition. Then in 14, then he appointed the 12. So see, I believe there was 70. Then he appointed the 12 which is his 12 apostles. And think about this for a minute, though. 70 is about a good number for a church. You have 70 in a crowd, and then, then he pulls 12 out, and, he, and, he, and he's going to give them a little bit more attention. And then there's going to be the three, Peter, James, and John, the inner circle that he really spends a lot of time with. Now, this is not a... This is not a, 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 a favoritism thing, because God has no favorites. But it's of showing us a pattern of building a church, a pattern of, of letting His Spirit build the church, a pattern of, of how to live in life and have relationship and deal with others and how to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them all that He commanded and lo, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. So He calls the seventy. Then he appointed or ordained is what it means. It means to make or do. He appointed the 12, be the 12 apostles that we always hear about, that they might be with him. Notice first, you come to Jesus and you want to spend time with him. When you spend time with him and draw near to him, he draws near to you and you can be like him. You want to be like him. You want to spend time with him in the word, prayer, and fellowship. And that he might send them out to preach. Now, the word send there, um, it, it literally means to set apart, to send out, to send forth. And, and it's the word which the word apostle comes from, one sent forth. It's the word that, that that's going to be because he sends them. But what's he send them to do? To preach. And to have power or authority to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Now listen, he called the 70, then he got 12 that he's going to, to actually sow his life into a little bit more seriously before he goes to the cross. Then there's going to be the three that actually, they go on the Mount of Transfiguration, they go into the garden with him, they, stand, uh, they stay a little bit closer to him, and, and, and it kind of the cream rises to the top. And these are the ones that were probably the, 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 the three, Peter, James, and John, were probably the worst ones, putting their feet in their mouth. And so he wants to keep them close so he can keep control of them. So um, 
that was supposed to be a joke. But he deals with all of us the same way. Notice what he called them out. He called them uh, um, to himself so that we can be with him for eternity. And he sent them out to preach. Now, I believe that he sends all of us out to preach. A preach means to herald good news. He sent all of us out to preach and to tell others that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. Now, it doesn't mean to teach. You don't have to have to be able to teach the word of God. That gets into the gifting. That gets further into what he does with the different parts of the body as he starts to, to uh, uh, separate it and, and make each part its own part so that we all become the body of Christ. But he sent them out that they might preach. All of us are called to preach. All of us are called to herald good news. All of us are called to be witnesses for Jesus. Now, some people are evangelists. They have the gift of evangelism, so they could do it a little bit more effectively. But we're all called to preach the word of God. Caruso, to herald good news, to be a public crier is what it means. And he give them authority. He give them power. That word power there means privilege. It's in the sense of ability. It's, it's, it's capacity and force and mastery. So listen, God doesn't just give you a gift. He doesn't just send you out. He doesn't just tell you to preach. He doesn't just say do this. But he gives you the ability, the authority, the privilege to be involved with his kingdom. And he also gives you all the mastery to go with it by the power of his Holy Spirit. If we'll just surrender to what he's called us to do and go. Just surrender to the gifting he's given you and go with it and preach the gospel. Of course, if you're a teacher, you teach. You're called to preach. You're called to be a witness. And they were given power to cast out demons and to heal sicknesses. I believe God is still doing that. I don't believe, I mean, many people believe this was just for them. And uh, they're the only ones that can heal sicknesses and cast out demons. Because most of the church doesn't even believe in demons anymore. But God still heals the sick. It's his choice when. He doesn't heal everybody. Even in his ministry, we see he's healing so many. He's casting out demons out of so many. But then when you get to the book of Acts, the first thing we see when Peter and John go to the temple is a man begging alms. He's crippled. He can't even walk. And Jesus must have walked by him so many times. But he left that for the church to do. There's lots of things. Like he said, the poor we have with us always. People that are hopeless and helpless and needing help and needing Jesus are always there. And that's why we're called to preach. Are you telling people about Jesus? Have you come to him and received rest? Do you know what your gifting is? Have you been alone with him? Have you come to him alone with him and crying out to him? And allowing him to equip you to send you where he wants you to be. That you might preach. That you might witness. That you might share the gospel. He wants to give you authority. His authority. The same way the father sent him. He said all authority has been given to me. Uh, uh, in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. He says the same thing. As the father sent me I now send you with the same authority to go out and heal sicknesses, cast out demons, preach the gospel, the kingdom of God. So 70 
And in the twelve, and here's their name, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonages, that is, sons of thunder. And that didn't say, the sons of thunder, they're, they're really, I think, they're, they're louder, they're more outspoken. I think he names them for who they are, the sons of thunder. They're ready to speak a little, and, and everybody's got a different personality. We're all fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and, and the body of Christ is supposed to have differing gifts, and the body of Christ is supposed to be different. It would be so boring if we we're all the same. But he called them the sons of thunder, and he kept them close to him. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite. And, and of course, all of the list, every time you see these lists, pretty much the same. There's a couple different names that are given here uh, for the twins. and, and uh, but, but they always begin with Peter and they always end with Judas. No matter if there's a couple little differences, they always begin with Peter and end with Judas. And number 19, that's chapter, or verse 19. And Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, and they went into a house. Can you see that epitaph? Do you see that? How would you like your name to be listed before all the world, always to know that Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, he delivered him up. He surrendered him up. And in this whole list, in this whole list, you need to know that Jesus doesn't pick the way that the world picks. In fact, notice the names. They're not in alphabetical order. That's how the world always does a list, by alphabet. But Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. And he picks them and he lists them the way he wants to list them. But the only one that was went to Hebrew high, was trained by the world and taught by the world, the only one that was educated by the system is Judas, and he betrayed him. Now, that doesn't mean if you have an education that you'll always betray Christ. That's not my point. I just want you to be careful. And to weigh any education and anything that the world teaches you against the word of God. Because when you get an education, when you go to the school of the world that's underneath the sway of the wicked one, you begin, they begin to tell you things and puff you up and make you think you're better than others. He was the treasurer. He carried the money box and was stealing from it. He was pursuing the things of this world and ends up selling. His heart was sold to the things of this world. His heart was trapped chasing money. He's stealing out of the money box. And then he sells Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. The only one that was trained how to live in this world. Listen, he calls you. He's calling you. 
He doesn't just call you to himself because he wants you, but he wants you to come to him. He loves you. He died for you. He died for everyone ever born. But he also wants to give you power, authority to go out and preach, to go out and tell people. He wants to give you gifting and abilities to go out and be a witness for him. He loves you with a never-ending love. Then, moving quickly, then, The multitude, here comes the crowd again, came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. So here he is. He went up. He prayed. He, he, he begins to set up the church and call them out. And he picks 70 and then he picks 12 and, and, and we're given their names and the list. And then as he's sitting there uh, uh, picking them and talking to them, maybe equipping them, here comes the whole multitude, the whole crowds again, wanting healings and miracles and food. And, and, and it says that they, they could not so much as eat bread. Listen, Jesus is the bread of life. But, but the point here is, is that they can't even get to lunch. They can't even get something to eat. They can't get rest. Sometimes... In the ministry, that happens. Sometimes when we're preaching, sometimes when we're going out and being sent by God and we're, we're doing the work of the ministry, sometimes it's okay to miss a meal. It's not that crazy to miss a meal because you're doing the work of the ministry. Jesus said in, in John 4, they with a Samaritan woman, the chapter about that, he, he said, I, they, they, they came to give him some food. And he says, I have, I have food to eat that you know not of. And he was referring to doing the work of God. It's refreshing. It's fulfilling. It takes care of you. Are you doing what God has called you to do? Are you going where God has sent you to go? He wants to send you out to preach. There's a sphere of influence of people that you can reach. But notice, as they come together, verse 20, uh, the multitude's back they can't even get any food. And it says, but when his own people heard about this, it's really his friends, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said he is out of his mind. So now, because of what he's doing, they're saying he's out of his mind. Because of, uh, uh, of the healings, because of his teachings, he's not even eating. You know, why is it that, that if a person is a, what we call today a Jesus freak, or he begins to talk about the Bible or practice the Bible or live for God and serve God, they begin to say that he's out of his mind. Why is it when somebody wants to serve God, he's out of his mind? He's devoted to God. He's trying to do the work of the ministry. He's trying to fulfill his ministry, and they, they claim he's out of his mind. But you know what? If somebody is a an artist that doesn't sleep because they want to finish a piece of work, or a sports person who, who, who trains so hard that he doesn't do other things, or you're so caught up that you're a workaholic and you work so many hours a week. People don't say you're out of your mind. They just say you're dedicated. And see, we need to be dedicated to God. There's nothing wrong with following Jesus' example and being devoted and dedicated to where you miss a meal. To where you realize that it's the bread of life that you want, not the bread of that's physical. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
Somebody was out of their mind. And so when they, his friends, when people begin to speak, he's out of his mind, it gives credence and, and opens the door for the scribes who come down. Watch what they're going to do. They're going to say he's casting out demons by Beelzebub. Notice this in the entire text. They never said that he didn't cast out demons. In fact, they tried to do the same thing. And there's the seven sons of Sceva that get their butt kicked. One of the itinerant preachers. Listen, listen. Nobody ever denied what Jesus did. In all the writings that you see, they never denied it. They ask him what power, what authority. Where do you get the authority? We're the religious rulers. We're the ones. We didn't train you. How does he know letters? Where does he get the authority? They never said he didn't do it. They never said he didn't teach it. They never said... Only today do we say that he didn't do it. Only today do we write off his miracles. They witnessed them. They seen them. They clearly knew what he was doing and what he was saying. And it, it threatened them because the people, the multitudes were following Jesus and they thought they were going to lose their power. They thought they were going to lose their influence. They are going to lose their crowd because the multitude had been following them and their pretense and their pretending and all of the things that they were doing. 22, and the scribes, lawyers, Pharisees, those who interpret the law who came down from Jerusalem they come all the way down from Jerusalem to, to Capernaum where he's at said he has Beelzebub and by the ruler of demons he cast out demons now if you remember Beelzebub is just a name for Satan it means lord of the dunghill or dung god how would you like to have that as your name lord of the flies I was just out cleaning out horse stalls and messing with some dung this is this is this is what Satan's name is, Lord of the Dung Hill. Isn't that insane? And they say that Jesus cast out demons by the ruler of demons, by Beelzebub. So Jesus, in response, called them to himself and said to them in parables. Now a parable we see uh, uh, all the way through the Gospels. A parable, it, it means a symbolic narrative. It's, it's, it's really a word for proverb, uh, but it's, it's a, uh, something that's laid alongside or thrown alongside. Now we're going to see that he speaks in parables. In the next chapter, we're actually going to get the parable of the sower of the seeds. And once we understand that one, we're able to understand all the other parables. And we're going to see that, that that parable is about the heart. And once you begin to deal with the heart, which is what he's been talking about, all these different hearts, critical hearts, uh, hearts that come to him, hearts that want to murder him, murderous hearts. There's so many hearts that are being talked about because we got to keep the heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. Guard your heart. Bring your heart to Jesus. He's calling you to come to Him in a personal love relationship. Not to a denomination, not to a building. Come to Him and learn from Him. So he says when he did the parables, and because this is and I believe he's speaking to uh, the scribes, the Pharisees, those that are accusing him. 
Because he spoke to them in parables as a way of grace. But it was given to the disciples to understand the parables, but not given to, um, because of their hard hearts, he spoke to them in parables we see in other texts, other uh, gospels. And he says this, how can Satan cast out Satan? See, if Satan cast out Satan, Satan wouldn't be there. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. That's interesting. Um, of course, Satan here is the accuser, the devil, the accuser of the brethren. But it's interesting that stand here means it's the same word that's used in Ephesians 6 for us. Stand means to abide and continue and remain. If Satan cast out Satan, he can't abide and continue and remain there. He's going to be cast out. You and I, we can stand because Christ is the head of all authority. No one can bind him. But notice what, let me finish reading this. Notice what Jesus does to Satan. 25. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Again, the same word. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. And so this is so amazing that, listen, we're called to stand and we can stand because Christ, who is the all authority, he is the all powerful, he has actually come down and bound Satan and plundered his house he has defeated him. And now we can stand. We can abide and continue and remain because of Christ defeating him. But notice he says that there is an end. One world government that you see on the rise right now attacking, causing uh, COVID on purpose in order to take, take our freedoms and liberties from us in order to move things into place. Listen, there's going to be an end to, your, to Satan's rule. There's going to be an end because he's been defeated. One day, Satan is going to be bound completely in all of his fallen angels, and they're going to be cast into the abyss. He's already, going, he's already bound. He's already been found guilty. He's out on bond right now. And Jesus has plundered his house. He took the title deed to the earth back. He defeated death. Satan has no power. He goes about as a roaring lion, but he's not a lion. He's a toothless lion. He's been defanged. He's been defeated by Jesus at the cross of Calvary. And his, if you're covered in his blood, Satan no longer has power over you unless you give him that power by believing the lie, by standing in fear. Listen, 
I know that there's a lot of people afraid because of COVID-19. A lot of people because they're, 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 they're fear-mongering on TV. They've actually begun to take down any type of truth about this. And all they're doing is supplying the, the social media with fear, 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 fear. And people will become afraid. So we're praying for you, and you should pray for you, and you should remember that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but one of power. He's given you authority and privilege and love and a sound mind. And you should cry out to Jesus and know that he's there for you. It's a, it's a sad thing that the uh, devil is doing to attack and, and to control and take authority with fear, and he's forcing these things upon us. And Jesus invites us, he bids us to come. And he has every bit of life for us, true life. Not a life that's, that's covered in death, but true life, and that more abundantly. And you can trust him. He's not out of his mind. You can trust him. He's God in the flesh. And notice what he does. This is exactly what he does to Satan. Satan doesn't bind himself and, and, and plunder his own self. It doesn't make sense. But Jesus, he plunders him. He plunders his house. He binds him. And he's going to cast him into the abyss. His day is coming when his fear-mongering and his lies and his kingdom will end. But you know what? There's unity in the Godhead, in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's unity in the body of Christ. There's no division. There's, no, there's nobody that can overpower. There's no wisdom or counsel against God. There's nobody that can step up and plunder his house. And they cannot plunder your house unless you believe the lie. Unless you believe the lie. Unless you hang on to this life like it is more important than the one that we have in heaven. Our salvation, our spiritual life is so much more important than this one. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. There's no division. It's not divided in the kingdom of God, but it is in Satan's house. There's no end Here's what it means. A limit, conclusion, termination, finality. There's no end to God's kingdom. It's for eternity. It's forever. But one world government and the devil will soon end to all of his destruction that he's caused. Christ is already bound him. He's always been bound. He has to ask permission. Don't give him permission in your life. And then he says this, and this is a serious stern warning that needs to be looked at. 28, assuredly I say to you, and he's speaking to those 
who are slandering the work of the Holy Spirit. Because everything Jesus did, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's working even now. Right now, convicting the sons of disobedience so that they would come to Jesus. Right now, convicting those who already know God so that they would repent. And they would come to him and go and preach. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men. That's us. And whatever blasphemies they may utter, blasphemies means to uh, uh, speak evil, uh, to vilify, especially even God, railing on God, they can all be forgiven, even against Jesus. But he who blasphemes the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation, uh, danger, in danger of damnation is what the King James says, because they said he has an unclean spirit. Now notice this. We're given the commentary of why he told them this parable. We're given the commentary of what was going on. They said that he was casting out demons by Beelzebub. They're calling the Holy Spirit Beelzebub. They're blaspheming and vilifying the Holy Spirit of God, who is working in Jesus at that moment, who works in us, who seals us until the day of redemption. And notice it actually says is in danger of or subject to condemnation or that means eternal judgment, damnation, justice, and judgment. Listen, I believe you can always repent. If you have breath, you can repent. If you have breath. But the I believe the unpardonable sin here is never receiving the testimony of the Holy Spirit that is convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. That we're all sinners, none righteous, no, not one. That the only way to receive righteousness is to believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ, his blood on the cross. Believe in God's Messiah. Because there's going to be a judgment one day. It's appointed for man to die once and then comes the judgment. And if we don't know Jesus and his blood and they're not covered and we haven't come to him, then that judgment is going to be to be cast away. We are going to end one day the same way that government. But that end doesn't mean finality. End like you're, it's just that he'll no longer be able to, to rule and reign and run and destroy and lie. He's going to be cast into the abyss. He's going to be cast into hell. And so is everyone who ignores and does not receive Jesus Christ's payment for sin. If we believe Satan's lies long enough, that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's rejecting the witness of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. But they were calling the Holy Spirit an unclean spirit. That is blasphemy, Jesus is saying. Have you received Jesus have you believed the testimony of the Holy Spirit? Do you understand that none of us are righteous? We're all born under sin because of Adam. That there's righteousness in Christ Jesus and in him alone. 
And when we receive that righteousness, then the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us and begins to train us to walk in righteousness. Positionally, we have it. Practically, we're learning to walk in righteousness. And one day, we'll be just like him when we see him face to face. And we can fall down and worship him. And then his friends failed to be able to get him to eat. Moving quickly, quickly, he says. And we see in 31, then his brothers and his mother came. Oh, I thought she was a perpetual virgin. There's brothers and mothers. There's brothers, there's mothers, there's sisters. You can look over in Matthew 13, 55 and 56. It names them by name. Jude and James both wrote books. They were his brothers half-brothers, if you will. And they're standing outside. They sent to him, calling him. See, he's calling us. And they come calling him because they don't realize who he is. And a multitude was sitting around him. See, they just keep crowding him. They're coming to him. And they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Well, they're not seeking him for the right reason. They're seeking him to tell him to get some physical food. They're trying to save him from the crowds. And it's one of the hardest things, isn't it? First group was friends and peers. Come to him and say, hey, you need to come on home and we're going to get you something to eat and you're just doing taking this thing a little bit overboard and now he has no honor in, in his hometown his own mom and brothers and if I don't know if you know but it, I mean his his family didn't believe in him I know Mary knew who he was because she had talked to an angel but his brothers didn't believe in him until after he rose again and then his brother James became one of the unofficial heads of the church we believe but listen what he answers. Listen how he speaks to them about his family, his brothers and sister and his mothers outside seeking you. But he said to them, saying, who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him, those who are having fellowship with him, and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. It's the family of God. You know, they used to say all the time, blood is thicker than water. And it's true. If you were born under the blood, you're now in the family of God. You now have a, a new home, a new house. You have a new father. And then, we, then, then you receive Jesus, who's your kinsman redeemer. He became like us so that we could become like him. And he says, that's who my true family is. Many of your family don't understand if you're serving Jesus. And they'll put pressure on you to stop. They'll think that you've been crazy because you go to church three times a week and you read your Bible and you say, I don't believe that or this and I'm going to do that. And he the devil separates us. 
But Jesus said, those who do the will of God, that's my brother and my sister and my mother. And it's interesting that the word do here is the same word that Jesus used for ordain. It's the same word that Jesus, Jesus used a while ago when he called his disciples and he appointed them or he ordained them. It means to make or to do, to appoint. He appoints you his family. Those who do the will of God, the determination of God, the purpose of God, the pleasure of God, uh, the, the will of God. It's his predetermined will. And Jesus had to die to enact this will so that the Holy Spirit could become the executor of the estate and hand out the inheritance to all of us who become his kinsmen by accepting the blood that he paid for our sin with. Again, Matthew 7. For whoever does the will of God. This is a big qualification. We can't just say, I believe. We can't just say, I know God. Does he know you? Are you actively following, reaching to touch him, in the way with him, doing his will and not your will anymore? Is your heart turned toward home? Look back again, like I said, Matthew 7, and we keep returning here. Matthew 7 is a big chapter, but if you remember 721, there's a lot of people, a lot of multitude coming to him, a lot of people, and he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Notice the qualifications to enter the kingdom of heaven. Notice the qualification to be part of his family is to do the will of God. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name? And his name is always his, his authority, his character, his nature, and his will. It's honoring him. And have we not done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. See, he calls us to him, but we don't come to him. We don't spend time with him. We don't look to do his will. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Notice again, because everybody will say, I know Jesus. Listen, he's saying he never knew them. He never had a relationship with them. Yes, you might touch Jesus, but did he touch you? There's, he says, and I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man abide in me and I in him, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. There's a reciprocation going on there. Yes, he's God of the universe. Yes, he died for our sins. Yes, we come to touch him. But he wants to touch us and make us like him. There has to be this relationship where we surrender and look to do his will not continue to pursue our dreams, our desires, our life. In Revelation, we're told we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, and we do not, do not love our life to the death. See, if you hang on to your life and die, you miss His will. He wants you to let Him live through you. As you surrender, He creates His character in you, and He does the work through you 
of saving souls as you go out to preach and obey and use your gifts, talents, and abilities. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built a house on a rock. And the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Notice, after he picked the twelve, they went into the house, didn't they? You see what it said there back in uh, verse 19? And they went into a house. Is Jesus in your house? Is the Spirit in your house? Are you in the house together? Because we're building a house, a spiritual house. And it needs to be built up on the rock with Jesus in the house. He needs to be the foundation. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith can be built if you hear them. But if you do not obey when you hear them, faith doesn't get built. Heart doesn't get trained. House doesn't get built on the rock. And does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Once again, love reading that because we need to be challenged in this. We need to test ourselves to see if we're really in the faith. And part of being in the faith is not just him touching us, but us touching him. Not just us coming to him, but him coming into our house, the Holy Spirit. And then us learning to do the will of God. Well, what is the will of God? Well, first of all, is that none would perish, but all would come to the saving knowledge. So he first sends us to preach, to be a witness, so others in their conscience can be struck with the truth that they're sinners and they need a Savior, and Jesus is he. And then there's other things to do to help to, so that we can disciple others. We can train others and send them to tell and preach. And we use our gifts together So, for everyone who does the will of God is in my family. Are you in the family of God? Is your heart turned toward home? Are you surrendering so the Spirit of God can empower you with strength and authority and might to do the will of God? Train your heart to hear His voice and you'll know what that will is, His perfect will. As Again, 2 Timothy. These, these, these verses just constantly go together because there's unity in the scriptures. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God might be complete, thoroughly equipped, ready for every good work to do the will of God. Are you in the way with him? Are you reaching out to touch him? Is he touching you? Is his spirit in your house? On the inside. Are you looking to obey the will of God? Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that when we fall short... We have the bar of soap in the water that 
if we confess, if we agree that we have fallen short, that we're sinners, that you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit that continues to grow us and send us so that we would go and make disciples. Give us a desire to preach your word to others and tell them the truth of who your son Jesus is. And we pray, Lord, that they would believe it, they would receive it, and they would become your children. Thank you that we can become your children, Father. Pour out your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Desire.